0: What do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter
1: of my head. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Special guest, Dr. Don Sanukian, professor of Christian ministry at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, shares an insightful and encouraging message from perhaps one of the most famous sayings of Jesus. Let's join Dr. Don now with a message entitled, Turning the Other Cheek. Amen. Well, our guest speaker this morning, Pastor Don and his wife, Nell, they flew up last night from Southern California. Pastor Don uh, is a teacher at uh, the Talbot School of Theology down in Southern California, and uh, he is actually the chair of the homiletics department, which is the preaching department. Uh, He's written some books, he's been published in Christianity Today, so he really knows how to preach. He really knows his stuff. Um... A couple of years ago, when we went to the pastor's retreat, the team, the team and I, we heard uh, Pastor Don speak for the very first time. And I remember uh, just seeing him stand up in the, fr- in the front during the worship time, and he was drinking his coffee, and he was looking at his notes. And I, I remember thinking, I wonder if this guy's any good or not. And, you, know, uh, you know, I didn't know. And so he got up there and blew my mind. Boy, oh boy, is this guy a good preacher. I still remember His sermons from the book of Joshua from last September. I could probably preach them to you. Not as good as him, but when he preaches, he's clear, he's thoroughly biblical, he's relevant, practical, and you walk away from the message understanding exactly what God was trying to say through him. And so let's welcome Pastor Don.
0: You notice he didn't say my last name? Catch that? When you first saw my name in the bulletin, you said, How does this guy say his name? And now that you look at me, you say, You don't look Japanese. (laughs) Sanukyan is an Armenian name. Armenia. Uh, Anytime you see I-A-N, Sanukyan, I-A-N, That'll be an Armenian name. Armenia is a country near Turkey and Syria. Uh, we used to have a governor in California, Duke Majian. The present coach at USC, Sarkisian, Matosian, Bagosian, Tamishian, Harimian, <laughs> Katabja, Those are relatives of mine. <laughs> we try to forget about Kardashian and Kavorkian. <laughs> Pastor Don works real well, so (laughs) you just go ahead and do that. Uh, This morning, I want us to look at a statement Jesus made when he preached that sermon on a mountaintop. The sermon actually covers three chapters in the New Testament, and somewhere about maybe a third of the way through the sermon, he made a statement, and of all of the statements in the sermon, this one is probably the most well-known. And of all of the statements in this sermon, for sure, it's the one that raises the most questions. The statement is found in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, if you turn there in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And in 30, verse 38, Jesus makes this statement. Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other Also, you have heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other one. Now, anybody who reads that and thinks about it is going to come away with some troubling questions. Does this mean if I see a crime being committed... I do nothing to try to stop it. If a robber breaks into my house at night, I I do not resist, but instead I turn the other cheek and tell them where the good stuff is. (laughs) Do I tell my children not to defend themselves against a bully at school? Disband the army. Do away with the police force. If the blacks of America were following this verse, would they not still be riding in the back of the bus? What are we to make of this? Is this practical? Realistic? Is it even consistent with other things Jesus did or said? Didn't he pick up a cord of whips and drive out of the temple those who were turning his father's house into a den of thieves? Didn't he liken himself to the shepherd who is the guard at the door of the sheepfold and, and the imagery is of a shepherd who fills the entranceway with his own body to prevent anybody from coming in to harming the sheep? You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one also. What do we make of this? In order to begin to understand it, it would help us if we put it into the flow of the sermon. Okay, The sermon begins at the beginning of chapter 5 with the Beatitudes and goes all the way through chapters 5, 6, and 7. And it would help us to put it into the flow of the sermon rather than to just isolate it. It'll help us to get a start to get a handle on it. In this sermon, Jesus has one dominant thought that he's trying to get across. He has one central truth that he wants most of all to communicate in the sermon. And it's this. Our righteousness... Our response to God, our walk with God, our understanding of God's word, our obedience to God's word, our righteousness must be greater than the righteousness of the religious leaders of his day. Our response, our righteousness must be greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of his day. Otherwise, we don't know God we're not part of his kingdom. Unless our righteousness exceeds theirs, we're not part of what God is doing. We see this dominant thought, which controls the whole sermon. You'll see that in verse 20 of chapter 5. Here is the thought. Here is his central point to the sermon. Matthew 5, 20. I tell you, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, unless your response to God your obedience and understanding of his word, if it's not greater than theirs, you're certainly not entering the kingdom of heaven. Now that's his dominant point. He immediately follows it with five examples of what he has in mind. Five times he will say, here's the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, but I tell you, here's what God wants. You have heard them teach you this, but I say to you, here is what God is really After He will give five examples. Each example will start with the same language. You have heard it said to them of old. You know what down through the generations your religious leaders have taught you. But I say to you, here's what God has in mind. He'll take five areas of truth. The first area, the first example, will be in verse 21 immediately. He'll take the example of murder. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago down through the centuries... Do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That's what your leaders have taught you. And they have said to you that as long as you don't physically take somebody's life, you've satisfied what God was after. As long as you don't physically kill somebody, you have been obedient to God. That's the righteousness they tell you. I tell you, when God gave the command, do not murder, God was looking at that spirit in your heart which was so angry and so destructive, you said to somebody, if I could, I would wipe you off the face of the earth. I can't do it because they'll put me in prison for it, but boy, if I had my brothers and nobody would ever find out, you'd be toast. <laughs> I despise you. I shouldn't should get looking at this one man. <laughs> He's getting a little nervous on me god was after that heart which so loathed that it wanted to destroy you have already made yourself viable to the judgment of god that's what jesus says in verse 22 i say to you anyone who is angry with his brother is already subject to god's judgment The righteousness that God wants is greater than what they were saying. The second example is down in verse 27. Again, the language, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And the religious leaders have taught you that as long as you refrain from the physical act, you have satisfied God's righteousness. But I say to you, when God gave that command, God was looking at that internal spirit of your heart which was so committed in loyalty and fidelity and faithfulness to one single person that you would not even fantasize about somebody else. You would not even imagine what it might be like or wish there were some way. And No, I say to you, whoever looks lustfully at another one has already violated God's standard. The third example is in verse... 33, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oaths, but keep whatever you pledged or swore using the name of the Lord. And they tell you as long as you stay true to what you pledged or swore, that's it. I tell you, God wants you to have such a reputation for truthfulness, you don't have to swear, you don't have to notarize, you don't have to pledge, stack on the Bibles, no. No. People know you so well that you are so transparent, so genuine, so honest, that if you said it, that, that's good enough. They can count on it. It won't be changed. I say to you, do not swear. Do not make that, that necessary. The fourth example is in the one we're looking at, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, but I tell you. And the last example of, of five, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies. So, five times Jesus is giving an example where the scribes and the Pharisees taught something to the people, but Jesus says they have missed the heart of God. They have twisted the scriptures. They have not understood what God was getting at. They have manipulated. They they have not seen the, the depth of what God's heart is really after. And the one we're looking at is in the area of personal relationships. Our one on one dealings with other people, our individual connections with the people that we know. And the scribes and the Pharisees were saying to the people, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Somebody does you bad, pay them back. Teach them that they can't do that. Stand up for your rights. Don't let them walk over you. Make sure that they respect your boundaries and your space. Uh, If they they hit you, if they do something to you, they're going to get back just as much for you. That's how you protect yourselves. That's how you make your way through your relationships on earth. You have heard that the scribes and the Pharisees have taught you in your personal dealings with each other, in your one-on-one relationship, they have taught you eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I say to you, that's not the heart of God. I say to you, whoever don't resist the evil person, turn the other cheek. Now, what is it that the scribes and the Pharisees were saying to them? Because you and I recognize in that phrase, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that's a biblical phrase. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, comes out of the Old Testament. God said it three times in the Old Testament. We would find that phrase, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So what, what's, why is Jesus objecting to the fact that they are using it? Well, because they are twisting what God had in mind. They are taking it from the situations that God intended the phrase to apply, and they are applying it to situations God never had in mind. So let's go back to the Old Testament, and let's see what did God intend when he said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. How did God intend for that to be a part of our life? In what way should it guide something? Let's go back to, to find that out. So let's go back to Leviticus 24, third book of the Bible, of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus 24. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Then comes Numbers and Deuteronomy. Leviticus 24. What we're going to see in Leviticus 24 is this. When God said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, he was giving the first sign of justice in a savage world. He was giving the first controlling principle in a very barbaric culture. God was saying to his people, you may not punish someone more than what they deserve you may only punish them up to the extent of the damage that they have caused. You may not do more than that. You can only go eye for eye. You can only go tooth for tooth. You cannot do more. You see, in the ancient world, they operated under the same principle that your two boys operate under in the back seat of the car. Okay? One boy sitting against the window on this side, infringes on the space of the other boy. The other boy sees this monstrous violation of his personal integrity, and he goes... And the first boy goes... And the second boy goes... And you get an escalation of the violence you get a retaliation beyond the provocation you get an excessive punishing beyond what was deserved you hear this in the savagery of the ancient world as early as Genesis 4 there's a man in Genesis 4 his name is Lamech he boasts to his family he says listen to me I have killed a man For wounding me. I have killed a boy. For striking me. And into that savage world. God said to his people. You will not do that. You will only punish. As much as is deserved. And you must apply that principle. To the immigrants. Not just to the citizens. The people who are defenseless. In your society. The people who don't have the protections. The aliens, they too, must be treated the same way. It is the first sign of controlling excessive punishment in a barbaric world. Let's read it in Leviticus 24, beginning in verse 19. Leviticus 24:19, "If anyone injures his neighbor, whatever he has done must be done to him." A fracture." for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. As he has injured the other, that's the injury that he is to receive. Whoever kills an animal makes restitution, but if he kills a man, he must be put to death. You are to have this same just fair law for the alien, the immigrant, as well as the native-born because I am your God. And so into that savage world, God said to his people, first of all, you may not punish somebody more than what they have done. Now there's a second thing we learn about this phrase, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, from the Old Testament. And for that, we'll turn to Deuteronomy 19. So go from Leviticus, and then pass Numbers, and then next comes Deuteronomy, where we will see the phrase again, and we will learn what else God intended when he gave this phrase. Deuteronomy 19. What we will see in Deuteronomy is this. Not only was eye for eye, tooth for tooth, a principle to control excessive punishment, it was a principle to be administered through the judicial system. It was a principle for the courts. It was a principle for justice as determined by judges. It was not a principle for revenge as desired by individuals. It was a principle in a courtroom when there were accusations being made and a punishment needed to be given, and the people who decided what the punishment was were the judges. People who were not emotionally involved. They were not part of the dispute. They, they were not inflamed. They didn't have any passions. They were objective. They sifted the evidence. They heard the depositions. They inquisited the, uh, the testimony. And out of their deliberations, they would give a punishment. And the punishment would follow the principle of eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It was to be done through the courts. Let's see how this works out in Deuteronomy 19, uh, beginning in verse 16 toward the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 16. If a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse a man of a crime, the two men involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord. That is, they come before the priests and the judges who are in office at the time. The judges make a thorough investigation And if, in the opinion of the judges, this witness, this malicious false witness, proves to be a liar, he's giving false testimony against an innocent brother to get a penalty put on this innocent brother. If the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against his brother, then do to this false witness as he intended to do to his brother. You must purge the evil of false accusation from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and never and they'll be afraid and never again will perjury or false accusation or lying accusations occur in your nation. In, doing, in giving the penalty to the false accuser, show no pity. Whatever he wanted to do to his brother is to be done to him. Life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. If a lying malicious witness brings an accusation and the penalty is 30 stripes and he wants to get 30 stripes put on this people, if they find out this man's a liar, this is the this internet. Is take those 30 stripes, put them on him. If he were bringing a charge in a capital case and the penalty was capital punishment, no pity. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. And you will teach your people we do not allow false accusation or perjury in this country. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth is a biblical phrase. It will bring justice, fairness to American culture. It will be administered through the court systems, and it will provide for order within our society. But it's a principle for justice as publicly determined. It was never given by God as a principle for revenge or retaliation as individually desired. And that's where the scribes and the Pharisees were abusing it. They were twisting it. They were taking it away from what God intended. And they were saying to the people, you want to, when somebody does you dirt, you have a right, according to the Old Testament. Eye for eye. If somebody takes advantage of you, pay them back. Teach them. You have your space. You have your boundaries. They cannot walk over you eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And Jesus says, you've heard how they have taken that phrase and wrongfully put it into that application. I say to you, in your individual dealings with each other, that's not the heart of God. In your one-on-one relationships with other people, your righteousness in those one-on-one relationships must be different and greater than what they are telling you because the heart of God is not eye for eye, tooth for tooth in those situations. In those situations, the heart of God is Whoever strikes you or slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, what is Jesus asking us to do in our one-on-one dealings with each other when he says, whoever slaps you or strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also? What is he saying? Let me see if I can illustrate. Will you help me? Yeah, come on. Come here. Come on. That's it sure he says all right you don't know what you're getting into come on up here there you go oh man you're bigger than i thought you were <laughs> what, what's your name randy Randy. okay yeah, just let your hands just let them hang down it? Yeah, yeah just don't, don't just okay now all right i'm a right-handed man okay most men are right-handed if I'm going to strike Randy on the right cheek, what kind of a blow is that going to have to be? Backhanded. The only way I can strike him on the right cheek, if I'm right handed man, is that way. Thank you, Randy. That's good. <laughs> Let's hear it for Randy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, what, what kind of a... Whoever strikes you on the right cheek, What's the spirit of that kind of a blow? Is it a blow designed to inflict the maximum amount of damage? No. That would be... Okay. What is this? That's a blow of contempt. That's a blow of insult. That's a blow that says, here's what I think of you. And we see it in the duels on television. You know, They pull the little glove off and... This is not some stranger doing some random evil or mindless violence against you. This is somebody you know. This is somebody who wants to jab at you. Somebody who wants to say, here's what I think of you. Jesus is not saying, do not resist the evil that occurs within society or by people who will strike out against anyone? No. If a rampaging maniac comes down the street knocking over everybody on the sidewalk, trip him. (laughs) (laughs) If a robber is cruising through the neighborhood looking at random for houses to rob, call the police. Jesus is not talking for the bully at school, who comes to whoever's at the front of the line and says, out of here. No, Jesus is talking about the bully who looks for you in the line. Oh, here you are, out of here. Jesus is talking about those times when you and I perceive that the evil is narrowly focused on us. It is not against other people. Whoever is doing the evil does not do it against other people. They do it on us. Jesus is talking about the person at work who gets along well with everybody else in the office. And you get along well with everybody else in the office. Except they have it in for you. I mean, they're real nice to other people. Sure, I'll cover. I'll stay after half an hour, help you finish off a project. Sure, I'll cover you while you take an extended uh, lunch to go to have a, uh, a doctor's visit. Sure, I'll explain this manual procedure to you so you can. Yeah, they're really nice until I need their help, and then it's hey, I got my own job to do. You take care of yourself. <laughs> or it's what's the matter? Are you so dense you can't understand the instructions? No, I'm not going to do your work for you. Anything. Why do you have it in for me? Jesus is talking about the neighbor. The neighbor who invites everybody in the neighborhood over for July the 4th, but you. And it's not like nobody else in the neighborhood ever has you over. You know, everybody else invites you over, but they don't. And they don't let their kids play with your kids. And you wonder, what's the problem here? And we haven't done anything. Jesus is looking at the times when the evil is calculated to insult us. Jesus is talking about the relative who gets along well with everybody else in the extended family, and so do you. Except that every so often you discover they have been bad-mouthing you to other people in the family. And you think, why? What did I do? When Jesus says in our one-on-one relationships with each other, in our individual dealings with those that we know, when we perceive that we have been slapped on the right cheek, there is an offense that has come which is only intended for us, calculated to reveal some contempt. Do not resist. Turn the other cheek. Let it happen again. Leave yourself open for another instance. Do nothing to prevent it. Absorb it and let it take place again. Turn the other cheek. And our question is, why? Why? God? Why? What's accomplished? What's the purpose? What good is it? Seems to me it'll just teach them they can walk all over me, that I'm a doormat. They can do whatever they want. There's no consequence. What is accomplished by turning the other cheek? To answer that, we will turn to Romans 12, where we will conclude. Romans chapter 12 in the New Testament. After the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts then comes after the book of Acts comes Paul's letter to the Christians living in Rome Romans chapter 12 what is accomplished by turning the other cheek look at me here when God's man or God's woman turns the other cheek, that may be the last link in a series of events which joins them to your God. When God's man or God's woman does not retaliate, when the evil that is done is personal and designed to insult and humiliate, when God's man or God's woman makes no response to pay back, but only absorbs it and lets it occur again if it needs to be that response on the part of God's man or God's woman may be the last link which joins that person to our God let's see this in Romans 12 okay? verse 17 Romans twelve seventeen. do not repay anyone evil for evil Be careful instead to give a right response, to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, just live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge. No. Leave lots of room for God's wrath to come in and take the revenge for you. Okay? That's because God has said, it's mine to avenge. I'll repay if there needs to be some punishment of this individual. I'll take care of it. Don't you do it. Leave the space for me to decide when and how much and if it's necessary. Revenge is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Your response, on the contrary, is not to give evil for evil. On the contrary, your response, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Make their life more pleasant. Find some way to serve them. Do something good for them in return instead of something evil. Turn the other cheek. Why? What's accomplished? End of verse 20. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Somebody says, what? (laughs) Somebody says, oh, I get it. If you want to really get back at them, be nice to them. (laughs) It'll drive them crazy. (laughs) What is he saying? You will heap burning coals on their head. You may have a little footnote that says this is a quote from the book of Proverbs. We don't need to turn to it because it just says exactly that. What does it mean to heap burning coals on the head? That statement, that phrase, comes from a little ritual in the ancient world, back in the time of the book of Proverbs. A little ceremony, a little, a little rite that somebody went through. And it was something like this. When a person discovered that they had been wrong about something, maybe the day before in a council meeting, they advocated a certain action for the community to take, and today they discovered, oh man, what I learned since then, that would have been the wrong. I was wrong. It's a good thing they didn't go that. I, I, I need to have people know I've changed my mind about that course of action. Or maybe they misunderstood something somebody did, and they began to pass a judgment, and the judgments kind of circulated among a, a people in the community. And today they discovered, oh, I totally misunderstood. I, I totally had the wrong. Mike, I've been wrong. I, I mean, I, I need to go back and undo that. When a person discovered that they had been wrong because there was no mass communication or social media or Facebook or texting or anything else in that day, how did you communicate to your community? I have changed. I was wrong. Their answer was they would go home and they would take some charcoal briquettes and they would fire them up and they would get heaping hot coals. They would put them into a shallow pan like a wok And then, with a towel underneath, they would take those heaped up burning coals of fire in that pan and they would put it on top of their head. And they would walk into a public square, a place where there was lots of traffic, where lots of people could see what they were trying to say. And the symbolism was My mind has been purified of those wrong thoughts, my mind has been burned clean. I have had it taken out of my head what I said the other day, I was wrong. My thoughts have been purified or cleansed or cleaned out. To heap up burning coals of fire was something the individual did to themselves voluntarily as a way of saying, I was wrong. And what Paul is saying when God's man or God's woman turns the other cheek against all of this hostility and this personal calculated animosity, when you absorb it and do not retaliate it but return with kindness and goodness to them, that may be the last link in a series of events that joins them to your God where they will say, I've been wrong, I've been wrong. Now, why does it work that way? What makes that happen? Okay? It's because the reason the hostility comes against you and no one else is because they're not really fighting you. And you kind of know that. I didn't do anything. The reason it comes against you is because they are fighting God. God is trying to draw them to himself. And they are rebellious. They are resistant. They are proud. They're not going to do it that way. And they're going to fight God but it's just kind of hard to fight God, okay? How can I hit him? Where are you, okay? And so they look for God in their environment. And it's you. And you. You speak to them of the God who is trying to draw them. Because they see that you and God are kind of together, okay? I mean, they in the lunchroom, you know, just before you opened up your brown bag, there was six seconds where you kind of bowed your head. Brief prayer of thanks for your food. All right, okay, you're good, all right. <laughs> right? Or when that nerdy delivery boy came in to, from the, some other company, everybody else went, <laughs> <laughs> You were nice to him. You were compassionate to him. You you had some bottle of water because he was so hot from pedaling his bicycle around I mean, they just see that there's a grace about your life. There's a fragrance. There's, there's some virtue that just, they know it comes from God. So if they want to get back at God, you're their target. Okay? And if you respond back with retaliation, now the battle's this way. Yeah, yeah, let's go at it, baby. God, now I don't have to worry about God. I got you. And if you won't do anything, you just absorb it. You come back with Kindness. What can I do? God just keeps coming at them. See, unknown to you, God's drawing them. God's pulling them, and they're fighting it. Okay? I mean, their, their kid went to the Young Life at high school. Now all of a sudden, the kid's reading the Bible every morning. What, what happened to my kid? Okay? Their wife got invited to a women's event and liked it and wants to go to another one. Their mother is sending them books by Max Lucado. Okay? <laughs> On their commute, they were dialing through the radio. They heard some music. It sounded really good. They didn't recognize it, so they left it on. When the music stopped, somebody named Chuck Smith came on the radio. (laughs) And they, I want to hear that. And all of a sudden, in all of their battles with God, you show kindness and goodness to them. And it just, you see this happening in Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus is persecuting the Christians. When he finally has finished putting everybody in Jerusalem in jail, he gets papers of extradition to the capital city, to the country to the northeast, and he's on his way to Damascus. He's going to find Christians there. He's got papers that officially will get them into his custody. He's going to bring them back to Jerusalem, and he's going to put them to death too. And on his way to that capital city, a voice out of heaven knocks him to the ground, and that voice says, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Hey, it's the Christians who are dying. But Jesus knows where the battle is. Saul wants to destroy Christianity. Why? Because if Christ is true, everything about his life is worthless. has no value. He was born into one of the elite families of the nation. He was educated by the most respected professors and teachers of his day. He was known, he had a reputation for being somebody who was absolutely obedient to every detail of the Old Testament law. He was passionate for his religion. If Christ was true, none of that counted. None of that was of value. And he will destroy Christ. And the way he will do it is he will kill the Christians. Because then he can be hanged. And the voice from heaven said to him, Saul, I'm pulling you and you're kicking. Isn't it hard to kick against the goads? A goad was a long, sharp stick pointed at one end. It's what the farmer used when he was following the oxen who was plowing. Because every so often, the oxen would say, that's enough for today. <laughs> and with that sharp goad into the back leg of the oxen, and the oxen would go again. And another you know, half hour, the oxen would stop again. says, okay, that's enough. <laughs> okay. And after about four or five of those, the ox said to himself, I'm not gonna take that anymore. The next time I'm gonna kick it back. I'll show it. So here comes the goat, and the Austin says, Okay for you. And with a mighty kick,
1: oh no, 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 no.
0: There is no profit in kicking against goads. <laughs> the point just buries deeper. So isn't it hard to kick against the goads? What was the last goad that Saul saw before he went on the Damascus Road? It was Stephen being executed while Saul supervised the execution. And when those who were the executioners picked up those heavy boulders and dropped them on Stephen in the pit to break his bones and crush his skull, what did Saul hear coming from the dying Stephen? He didn't hear, God will get you, God will pay you back, you son of a-. No. no, he didn't hear that. What did he hear? Father, don't hold this sin against them. Don't, don't. And Saul, fighting, kicking against the goats, Stephen... And in the dust, Saul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Hey, good phrase. Justice in American culture. A good principle for the courts to make sure that we have order in our society. But it's not a principle for our individual dealings with those that we have relationships with the heart of God there is though evil is done to you. Evil. Do not pay back evil. Absorb it. And if you will turn the other cheek, that may be the last link which joins them to your God. Oh, oh Lord. Because there is enough of the old person about us, we, we will always have that sudden flare of anger ourselves to want to snap back. And you must give us an immediate grace to restrain that and then give us insight to see, is this directed against us and not others? Because somehow we reflect the fragrance of Christ. And if it is, if it's that, then especially enable us to return with good and with service and with benefit to their life rather than with evil. And to trust it into your hand that maybe this might be the last of the sequence of events which you are using that we don't have any knowledge of in their life, but it might be the one that tips them into you. Father, what a, what a gift it would be to us if you would actually allow us to know that. They might say at some point uh, that they now belong to you and that partly it was the way we acted in certain situations that just kind of impelled them into your presence. Give us that reward as we desire to always be uh, obedient to what your direction and guidance is. Uh, help us to reflect uh, the grace that comes from the righteousness that Jesus has put within us. Uh, We thank you in his name. Amen.
1: You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.